Hey everyone, I'm Cody, and you are listening to a public church podcast. I hope you enjoy the talk today, and thanks for listening. So I'm really excited for our guest speaker today. He is a great friend of mine, and I think he just has a phenomenal name. His name is Todd Humbert. I got dad jokes all year, but um, Todd actually leads the Greenhouse Church in Athens, Tennessee, and maybe you're unfamiliar with the Greenhouse, but know this, if you have ever given through Jesus's public church, then you have been a part of what's going on in Athens, because we are able to support them from the beginning, and over the past five years, we've actually invested $100,000 into the life-changing work of Greenhouse in Athens. Can we praise Jesus for that? Yeah, that's right, that's right, that's right. So I'm really excited for Todd. We're going to have a quick conversation, and he's going to bring a powerful word. So we just honor him as he comes up. Thank you, brother. Thanks, Todd. You're welcome. Man, I I love this. Um, Todd and Michelle, or Todd was actually on staff here as he and Michelle were preparing to plant this church in Athens, Tennessee. And just to honor Michelle, she actually started what is now Public Students. Is that not amazing? She also helped start a community group that they led. And that community group, it not only still exists, it's replicated. It's two community groups now. So thank you guys for your impact. Todd, you're somebody that I bring leadership ideas to. And there's been several times that I've come back from our meetings and directly implemented your wisdom. So I just really appreciate that. And for people who may be unfamiliar with you or with the greenhouse, could you just brag on Jesus? Just tell some stories of what Jesus is doing in Athens. I will. Let me uh, brag on public church just here just for a minute, because when I think about where we are at Greenhouse in Athens, we're about four and a half years in from our beginning gathering, our regular gatherings. Um, We are the age at when public church was that old, they sent us out with $100,000. It is hard for me to imagine where we are in our, you know, we're in a different context. We have different kind of uh, social strata up there. But, man, you know, or we're, we're just rednecks up there. That's what we are. <laughs> Anybody from Athens, Tennessee? Well, I promise I didn't marry my cousin. So. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah, because she's not from Athens. That's why. So. <laughs> But anyway, I just want to brag on public church and just say, hey, you know, you guys blessed us at such an early stage. Like, that's such a step of faith, and it has allowed us to really soar beyond these last five years. So thanks a lot. Um, God's been doing a lot of cool stuff. Let me share a couple stories that I didn't share with the first. Um, I'm going to change the story, but I want it because how many of you are in uh, university settings? Two or three of you? Okay. Okay. We had a student this past year, we have tried to live what I think is your vision for public church, embracing the, oh man, apologies, come on, they know our, boom, so, um, you know, just, just to be on mission wherever you are, and so we had a student come to us this past year and say she wanted to live overseas for the summer. And I just love that. I love that we have some college students who want to live abroad. And, um, and then this coming summer, there's two college students that want to live. One is uh, thinking about going to Ecuador for the summer. Uh, that other girl was in Greece. And then and another girl that wants to live in Kenya. That's awesome. Man, I know it. And I'm thinking, where's the guys at, man? <laughs> man, all these girls want to do missions. What about the men? <laughs> Did you hear those crickets? Yeah, there? nothing yeah. there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Um, <laughs> Challenge accepted, right? 
So let me brag on Jesus a little bit too with, uh, with some land that we purchased recently. We've been in McMinn County High School Auditorium for four and a half years, and it's been good. School's been accommodating to us. And, uh, but we did make a move on some land this, uh, a couple Decembers ago, and we just asked the church to pray for you know, a couple years and give over the period of a couple years to purchase the land. We thought it was doable over a couple years. Well, we get about 10 months in, and our youth pastor, he says to me, I really feel called to be full-time. And he was part-time. He was nine years biology teacher at McMahon County High School. He wants to be full-time. And we know, like, this is a no-brainer decision. You know, his relational capacity, it's good for his family. It's good for the next generation. However, as a church, we hadn't really prepared people for that. And we're thinking, all right, we're raising money for land. What would it look like if we brought a full-time staff member on and we're, like, trying to raise money and here we bring this guy on? So, um, which it could have happened. You know, we could have acted with integrity. But anyway, we just decided, all right, we're going to pray and Ask God, if it is his will for Eric to come on full-time, that he will pay this land off in month 10 or month 11. And now, keep in mind, we, we still owed $70,760.87 on this land. Yeah. yeah, right? And we don't have public church's budget. You know, we, 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 we don't, you know, so we're just praying. We didn't really tell a lot of people, not that it's wrong to tell people. We just wanted to see what God wanted. And so, um, spoiler alert, Eric's full time. Yeah. Yeah. Wow, yeah. Awesome. Yeah. But here's what's even cooler, y'all. By the end of the month of April, we had $13,252 more than we needed. Wow. That's awesome. Isn't that crazy? Yeah. Like, man. Yeah. So when people just get behind, you know, they, they catch the vision, they get behind, you know, it's, it's amazing what God can, God can do. So yeah, that, that's some, there's some things that Jesus has been doing among us and, and we're excited. We're excited to see what God's going to do in the future. Man, I love that. And I just love how God has gifted you with the ability just to steward his work there. And it's just such an honor to come alongside you guys. So if you would just join me in praying, we're going to pray for Todd and his family. And then just for us that we would receive the word the Holy Spirit has given him. So Jesus, I just pray first off for Todd and Michelle, and I pray for their marriage. I pray that they would find and carve out the ability to have date nights and not only date nights with each other, but date nights with their individual kids and then family nights and game nights and just time together. I pray that their kids would love the church because they know that Todd and Michelle love them more than they love the church. And I just pray that you would also just be with the work, be with Eric and Ashton as they're adjusting to him being full-time and with their kids. And I just pray that you would continue to move in powerful ways and change lives and just provide everything they need. So we love you Jesus, we give you credit for what you're doing, and we just ask that you would prepare our hearts now, and that you would challenge us, and that we would be different because of the word that you've given Todd. So it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. Hey, has God been so good to you, y'all? Hmm. Let's just pretend like UTB Alabama. Has God been good to you? There <laughs> we go, yeah, all right. Did they beat Kentucky last night? Okay, sorry. I'm not, I don't watch a lot of football, so um, some of you just totally canceled me. And uh, she's like, man. Uh, but, hey, y'all are in what series? Beyond a series. Okay. Man, some of y'all didn't get a cup of coffee out there. So, but anyway, um, in the Beyond a series, I would love for you just to kind of give me a feedback. Maybe two of you, three. What are you learning? How are you growing? What are you implementing? Any, maybe, a, maybe a line or a sentence or a word. Anybody out there would just like to 
throw it out, like this is how I'm growing, this is how, what I'm learning, this is what I'm implementing. I'm going to do the teacher thing. Mm, mm. Stare at God, glance at your life. Wow, it's awesome. Anybody else? Mm, our sinisters are sight. That's good. Yeah. Um, but God is, I know He's going to challenge you through the Beyond Us series to live beyond yourself to live beyond the gravitational pull. I think I've heard Todd say the gravitational pull of self. And we all sort of get in that frame of mind where we can't really look past maybe our own desires or interests. But, but I want to kind of challenge you today. I want to challenge your mind. I'm trusting the Holy Spirit's going to challenge your heart on two, two words, two issues on stewardship and generosity. Stewardship and now, typically, when we talk about stewardship and generosity, what do we talk about? Money. money. Yeah, yeah. Okay, we're going to talk about money. You know, <laughs> spoiler. But I want us to look at stewardship and generosity in maybe some different settings. We often don't use the word stewardship. We maybe a manager, you know, someone who's you, you're overseeing things entrusted to you. And typically, think of maybe like time or treasure or what's the other T preachers use? Talent. Maybe, uh, okay, anyway, maybe that's old school. Um, so, um, but I want us to look at the fact that you're a steward over something beyond that. And God's going to call you to live beyond yourself as you steward this thing that is beyond that. And, and it's something that we all deal with. It's something that we all have walked through or experienced in life. It's something we don't like to talk about because it makes us feel vulnerable or maybe emotional, maybe a little bit of lack of control when we begin to talk about this particular thing. But I want you to think with me here that God has called you to be a steward. He's called you to be a manager over, a steward over the stories of your life. And a particular kind of story, the stories of suffering. That God's called you to be generous despite suffering. God's called you to be a steward over the stories of your suffering. And for us to learn this, I really want us to drop down in the book of Ruth. The book of Ruth is just sort of this gem right after the book of Judges. It happens to be in a time period in Israel's history where the last verse in the book of Judges says, everyone is doing what is right in their own eyes. And then you see this beautiful four-chapter book of people who are stewarding things and being Generous. So let's, let's look at Ruth chapter 1, and uh, the first character we're going to come across is a lady by the name of Naomi and her husband Elimelech. That's just a cool name. Can you say Elimelech with me? Elimelech. Man, thanks. I felt the passion there in that word. Okay. So Ruth chapter 1. Now, now in the days when the judges, everybody doing what's right in their own eyes, ruled, there was a famine in the land, which means there's no bread in the land. And it's kind of interesting because there's a man from, where is he from? Bethlehem means house of bread. So there's no bread in the house of bread in Judah. 
And he went down. He did what any person would do, any father would do, any husband would do. He sought economic stability. So he took his family, uprooted them in a famine, time of famine, and went to a neighboring country. And based on the history of Israel and Moab, there was a little hostility. You can read that back in, in Numbers, and you can read that back in Judges a little bit, that, that there was some hostility between Moab and Israel. But he, anyway, he sought economic stability. So he uprooted his family, and they went to Moab. And so over a period of 10 years, there were some stories that developed in the life of Naomi and the life of her husband and the life of her two sons. So in a period of 10 years, Naomi lost her husband, Elimelech. The Bible doesn't tell us how, but she lost. And then she lost her two sons. Has anybody ever lost anyone? Lost someone? So you can see Naomi right from the get-go in the beginning of this book. She is, a, she is someone who is suffering. She has been given, entrusted with stewardship of suffering. Now let me be clear. I'm not, I'm not blaming God with our suffering. Sometimes we are entrusted in a sovereign way with him. Sometimes he allows things. Sometimes he initiates things. I really, I'm not even going to pretend like I I know the mind of God in, in that way. But here we are with Ruth, who is a foreigner, without her husband, with her daughter's in-law, because her, her sons got married, with no one. You ever been in a place like that? You've been in a place of suffering, loneliness, out of place, not in the right context or not in a context you're, you're comfortable with. And so what we, what we see here happening is Ruth decides, excuse me, Naomi. Have I been saying Ruth? Okay, Naomi. All right, sorry. I get those two mixed up. Naomi decides to go back home to the house of bread. To where? Bethlehem. Got it. Thanks. So she goes back home to Bethlehem, and her daughters-in-law start to go with her. And she turns to them. She says, she says to them in, um, in chapter 1, verse 14, they lifted up their voices and they wept again, right? Anybody who suffered, you reap again. And Orpah, not to be confused with Oprah, right? Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth, Ruth clung to her. Loyal to the one she loves, even in her suffering. In verse 15, she, she says in verse 15, look at this. She said, see, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her, she went back to her gods to worship the Moabite gods. Return, go back, you know. Verse 16, but Ruth said, Ruth, her ex-daughter-in-law, Ruth says to her, don't urge me to leave you. Hey, I'm hanging. I'm here for good. Don't tell me to, to leave or, or go behind because where you stay, I'm going to stay. Where you lodge, I'm going to let your, your people are going to be my people and your will be, it's going to be my God. And then she uses this next verse, she uses this sort of official oath swearing uh, rhetoric here. He says, may the Lord, which is the covenant name for God in the Old Testament, Yahweh, may the Lord do so to me more even more also if anything but death parts me from you. And so what we see here is this amazing amount of suffering happening in Naomi's life and in Ruth's life. But in the middle of that mess, somebody comes to know Yahweh. 
You see a conversion happening here. The other sister-in-law, Orpah, goes back to her gods and her people. But, but Ruth, when she's faced with this sort of fork in the road, what Ruth decides in that moment, in the middle of that suffering, she decides salvation. She decides salvation. So I want to come to you, church, with a question. And the question is, what if you're suffering What if you stewarding your suffering, you walking through the fertile valley soil of suffering is what someone else needs for their salvation? Is it worth it? Is our suffering worth someone else's salvation? Let me tell you about Yuki. Uh, Yuki's a Japanese guy. He went to college with my wife and um, back in Athens, Tennessee, when she came to Tennessee Wesleyan College at that time. Um, sorry, Lee University people. We love TWU, right? Um, so Tennessee Wesleyan College, he, uh, he came from Japan, which, by the way, Japan is one of the most open countries in the world, but one of the most least reached countries in the world. If you look at their, like, conversion rate, or if you look at, like, the followers of Christ, the people who claim to be... Uh, evangelical or, or Christ following there. It's, the number is really, really low. But anyway, he came to uh, Tennessee Wesleyan. My wife was there and became good friends with her family, became good friends with me, uh, went, became a large friend group, stayed with my wife's family over the summer one summer, um, happened to fall through the garage ceiling, helping your dad work on, you know, some things. Anyway, so he, he was just a beloved person. Well, after he graduated, he, he applied for a work visa to stay in the United States. He was denied his work visa, um, and we knew his departure date was coming to go back to Japan. And uh, we, had, we had shared the gospel with Yuki. He'd been around church. We've talked about Christ. We really wanted Yuki to come to know Jesus. We really loved this guy, which, of course, we should have this sort of attitude for everybody. But we really loved Yuki. wanted him. And so, so much so that as his departure date was coming, everything we did became about the gospel, like, we would talk about the gospel all the time. Uh, anybody play apples to apples in here? Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, the particular way we play in our family is, is you lay a card down, and you have to justify why you laid that card down. You have to argue for it. It's a really fun way to play. You should try it. Well, when we played about six or seven of us, six or seven of us around the table, we were arguing for the gospel while we put those cards down. So, for example, somebody might put amazing, you know, the one card down, and others lay things down, and we might put Niagara Falls. And the justification is, for all have fallen short of the glory of God, you know. So we're trying to somehow weave the gospel into the conversation. And I'm sure Yuki was, you know, he's so nice, though. But, uh, well, the part, his departure date was coming. Well, my wife and I happened to be, um, the day before he left, we happened to be in Kennebunkport, Maine. Anybody been to Maine before? Anybody been to Kennebunkport? It's like a little doll town if you go there. We, we had just gotten married the day before. We were on our honeymoon. We were, the, our friends had hooked us up. We had some really good friends. They had hooked us up with, some, with one of the top 10 most romantic bed and breakfasts in the nation. Yeah. Yeah, so we're like, yes, this is going to be great, right? Um, so while we're there, we get there. The host of the place says, hey, you need, to, you need to take a phone call. I was like, okay. So I get the phone call, and it's like, uh, 
my spiritual mom on the other phone, you know, uh, Beth. And uh, I was like, hey, what's up? I could tell something was wrong on the other end of the phone. And um, she said to me, uh, your, your dad passed away in an automobile accident. Your mom is in the hospital and your aunt has flown to UT. Um, and boy, you talk about a roller coaster of emotions from marriage, wedding day, to the passing of, of my dad. Well, um, there was about, while we were in Maine trying to get back, there were about 40 people. Uh, my sister was one of them. She comes here, Kelly Knapp. Um, about 40 people in the parking lot of the hospital in Athens, Tennessee, praying for my mom, praying for my aunt. And by the way, they did survive. Somebody in the last gathering came to me immediately after and said, did your mom survive? It's like, she did survive. So my mom survived. Um, but there were about 40 people praying. And among those 40 people, guess who was there? Yuki. Yuki was there. And when he saw, when he saw the body of Christ come around the suffering, when he saw the availability of a God you can call on in, the, in your hardest times, when he saw that, I'm not sure everything that was going on in his heart and mind, but folks, in that moment, in that, that, that he committed his life to following Jesus. Isn't that good? And, and if you'd ask me in that time, was it worth it? I'd probably say, no. <laughs> no, it wasn't worth it. I want my dad, you know. I want him to be here for my, my kids, my grandkids, la, 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 la. But, but church, is your suffering worth that? Now, I know we all walk through trials, and, and Ruth had, had sort of this, the, the typical stages of grief. She, Ruth 1.13, uh, if you turn there, she says, you know, this is from the Lord. It's like judgment, you know. Man, all this, this suffering that's happening in my life is, is, uh, is like judgment from God. And we, and we get there, too, and a lot of the lament psalms are there, too. Why, God, have you done this? You're terrible. Please help me. But I have hope in you. Praise you. You know, you kind of see the, the ebb and flow of the psalms. But I want to ask you, what if... What if your stories of suffering, the, the stewardship, you being a steward over the stories of suffering in your life are someone else's fertile valley soil for their salvation? Is it worth it? What if the stories of you walking through addiction or the stories of you walking through death or the stories of you walking through eating disorders or the stories of you walking through abuse or neglect or pain, deep pain, y'all. I'm not talking about just like uh, things that, that are light on the surface, you know. Man, my coffee was cold when I got it from Starbucks. <laughs> That's suffering too, man. Gosh, you know, hey. But what if the deep, dark places of your life, God's called you to steward for someone else's salvation? Folks, think in stewardship in those ways. Think in stewardship in those ways, and God's going to help you live beyond the gravitational pull of self. You live beyond that. Let's keep going in the book of Ruth, okay? Because there's some other things I want you to know. You are called to be a student, or stu what's that word again? Thanks, got it. Steward of the stories of suffering in your life. We're also called 
to the grace of generosity. To the grace of generosity. Because what we see when Naomi left the Moab country and came back to Bethlehem in 119, the whole city was stirred. Like everybody, they came back to Bethlehem 119, the two of them. So the two of them, that's what it says in 119, the two of them, how many? Two. They went on until they came to Bethlehem. When they came to Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them. And get this. And the women says, the women said, is it Naomi? How many were there? How many did they acknowledge? One. Ha, Naomi. Mm. Naomi. Mm. Right? So Naomi was, ex- was showing the grace of generosity by bringing her ex-daughter-in-law. Most of us don't want anything to do with our in-laws anyway, especially the ex-ones. Just kidding, I love my in-laws. But to pull them, you see that? She was a Moabite woman, a foreigner, a person from the wrong side of the neighborhood. But she came along. She came along, and Naomi extended the grace of generosity. And then we see Ruth extending the grace of generosity here too. Ruth in this story goes to work in the fields for her ex mother-in-law because she probably Naomi is aging at this time needing someone to care for her and so Ruth shows the grace of generosity of giving of her time to help her to help her mother-in-law can anybody guess the average amount of time the statistical data the average amount of time a U.S. person donates or, or works uh, and volunteer hours. Anybody? Average amount of time per year. What? Not that low, <laughs> Drew. 50 hours a year. 50 hours a year. You know, we have 52 weeks in a year, right? So do the math with me. How many hours is that per week? Yeah, less than one hour. Man, she is showing the grace of generosity of giving her time to her ex-mother-in-law of caring for aging parents. Some of you have been in the position where you've cared for aging parents. It's a lot, a lot on your soul and a lot on your time. But let's keep going because I really want us to zero in on a guy named Boaz. Can you say Boaz? I just like that name, Boaz. It's cool. If you have kids, name them Boaz. All right. Um, So Boaz is this, you know, industrious man. He is uh, well-to-do, a farmer in the, uh, the land of, uh, of Bethlehem, and he takes note of the grace of generosity that Ruth is showing Naomi. He takes note of that, and he has employees in his farm. He, he runs this agricultural sort of center you can see throughout the, the, bu- the book of Ruth, and so he takes note of that. Well, in Israel's history, in the book of Deuteronomy and other places, we know that God was concerned with, with the well-being of the poor because he gave a couple commandments. One command was if you were a farm owner, if you were a landowner, you were not supposed to harvest all of your crops. The edges, you were to leave the edges of your field. Have y'all heard this before? You're supposed to leave the edges of your field so that the poor, the widow, the orphan, the needy could come along and harvest those for themselves. He gave another law 
in the Old Testament, Deuteronomy 24, 19. He said, if you, if you happen to be gathering your crops together and some of them fall, leave them. Leave them there. So if you know you got, you got your change purse and a quarter falls out, just not the same thing. But anyway. So leave some of your crops so that the poor, the widow, the orphan, the needy can come along and gather, gather those for themselves. So that was the minimum standard, right? Minimum standard of the generosity. But what's interesting about Boaz is he, he isn't just thinking about, and I happen to think that Boaz might have been suffering too because if you look forward in chapter 3, verse 10, around verse 10, he, the way he talks about himself is sort of a, you know, low self-worth. So, and sometimes, I know, I know you're with me here. When you're suffering and you have low self-worth or you have difficulties in life, your world begins to get really small. It's hard for us to think beyond ourselves. And we're kind of amazed that people can think beyond themselves. Like, oh, they thought about me. They brought me a coffee. Or, hey, they thought about me. They just waved. Or they sent me a text and said, how are you doing? You know, sometimes we, we, it blows our mind that people can think beyond themselves because it's just hard, right? Would you agree? So Boaz is thinking beyond himself, and he takes note of the generosity, the grace of generosity that Ruth is showing Naomi. And so he, he tells his men, he's an industrious man, his men, he's not just concerned, I got mine, you get yours. He's thinking about other people as well. He says, hey, verse uh, 2, verse 15, let's look at this. When, the, when she rose to glean, Boaz instructed his young men saying, his employees saying, let her let her glean among the sheaves. Like, let her work over here. Let her, let her harvest over here. And don't reproach her. Don't say anything to her, okay? Matter of fact, before this, he had already told his young men and their attitude toward the foreigner, don't you touch her. Where you get water, let her get water. Matter of fact, he, he said, hey, come and have some lunch with us. You can have some lunch. And she got up early. She got some lunch. And then she went back to work. He's telling his young men here, hey, I'm going to go beyond Minimum standard. Let's go to verse 16. He says this, verse 16, and also pull out some from the bundles for her and leave it for her to glean and do not rebuke her. So what we see happening here is Boaz is concerned with the well-being of Ruth, the well-being of Naomi, and he goes, he is generous beyond the minimum standard. How many of us like minimum standards? Would you like to be known as someone who meets minimum standards? So I have a teenager, and when the teenager gets in the car and I say, hey, how was your day? He meets the minimum standards. <laughs> how was your day? Good. What'd you do today? School. Minimum standards, right? Hey, right? Or, or let's just say you love minimum standards because you're late to that store. You want to get to that store, and you want to get there, and you know there's two minutes. Anybody been here? You, you, there's two minutes before that store closes, but you know exactly what you need. You know and you pull in the parking lot, you know, pull in, you get out of your car, briskly walk up to the door. And as soon as you get to the door, the person is sitting there staring at you and does this. Do you like minimum standards? Like, man, I, I, I promise I just need one thing. I need one thing. Sorry, we're closed. How many of us like minimum standards? We don't like minimum standards. We're like above and beyond standards. And so, so what you see in Boaz is Boaz is not just meeting minimum standards, but he's being generous with his time, his employees, his workplace environment, and especially 
his finances, what is financially profitable in that time and that day. He's being, he's being generous beyond the minimum standards. And so let, let's look at a couple numbers here. This is really cool. In 2021, Giving USA reported that $484 billion was given to charities. Is that not a cool number? How many of you would like that applied to your tuition? Like, I am a charity, please. Come on, trying to get through school here. Yeah. Or, you know, I remember being in school. I was just like, man, I was eating ramen noodles and tomato soup. That's how I survived, ramen noodles and tomato soup. Anyway, so 28% of that, 28, 29% of that went to religion. And that church, mosque, synagogue, Mormons, whoever, you know, it went to, that's just 28% of that. So $135 billion went to religion. Well, here's some more interesting numbers. If we think about the fact that in the U.S., 210-ish million people claim to be Jesus followers. That's a cool number. Their income last year was $5.2 trillion. $5.2 trillion. Now, that wasn't my income. I don't even know how many zeros are in trillion. How many zeros are in trillion? Something. Y'all, y'all count it up and tell me in just a minute. $5.2 trillion. Now, if you just, now, I don't, what do you think? I, is tithing a New Testament command? I'm going to let Todd, like, tackle that one, okay? But, is tithing a New Testament command? One time I, I was in a group of Baptist pastors and I asked them that, and you would have thought I'd murdered somebody. They were like, what? So anyway, um, so I don't know, like tithing is definitely Old Testament, but I love what Randy Alcorn says in his book, Treasure Principle. It's just a little book. If you don't have it, you should get it, read it, listen to it, audible something. He says that tithing, which is, which is 10%, is like the training wheels of giving. It's like just the training wheels. You know, we, I, I think about my, my kids trampling outside. It has that little net around it. You know, it's like this is, this is just like elementary. It's the training wheels of giving. But what we find research-wise is that 80% of people in the body of Christ, 80% of people in the church, give 2 to 3%. And maybe you think, man, I ain't got a lot. Why should I give anything? Every little bit counts. And now you know the story of Jesus when he saw the widow with two copper coins and she threw it in. You remember what Jesus said? You know, people give out of their abundance, but she gave out of her poverty because she gave everything she had to live on. And she was exalted in the sight of God. And you might be thinking, I ain't got much. But man, it starts here. It starts now. I remember growing up, we, were, we would go to church off and on, and we didn't give 2 to 3% growing up. We gave 2 to $3. Like, the, they would pass that plate thing around, and my dad was like, here, put this in an offering plate. Put it in an offering plate, 2 to $3. But church, what if God called us to the grace of generosity beyond ourselves so that the world might know the hope of Jesus? What if that five point, I mean, we wouldn't be having a lot of conversations about giving, if people understood that $5.2 trillion, not 10% belong to the Lord, but 100% belongs to the Lord for his kingdom service. That we're not just meeting minimum standards. We're, we're going beyond for the mission of Jesus so that the world would know. Like if, if people got that in their minds, then 
we would give more than the entire U.S. would give to charities. And wouldn't that glorify Jesus? That we believe so much in the hope of the good news of Jesus that we would go beyond. Let's look at 2 Corinthians chapter 8. I just want, you, I just want to say this really quickly. We want you to know, brothers, 2 Corinthians chapter 8, the Corinthian church was not meeting minimum standards. Matter of fact, the Corinthian church was below minimum standards. And so Paul is encouraging them to think about the the hurting of other people. He said, I want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God. He uses that language, the grace, the empowering presence of God in your life, the the grace that goes beyond um, yourself, that he has been given among you to the churches of Macedonia. Keep going. These churches in Macedonia had a severe test of affliction. Let's keep going. Their abundance of joy, joy in their giving, and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of, what's that G word? On their part. Let's keep going. For they gave according to their ability, but they didn't just do minimum standards. What does it say about them? They went beyond their ability. I just want you to think about the good news of Jesus right now. What if Jesus just did minimum standards? What if Jesus came down here and said, minimum standards, judgment. Minimum standards, justice. Minimum standards. Man, when we serve a God who looked beyond, who stewarded his suffering for us, because 1 Peter 3.18 says this, that Christ, Christ suffered for you and me. He stewarded his suffering. I think we have a scripture here. First, that Christ suffered. He stewarded his suffering for you and for me. Once for sins. The righteous, that's him. For the unrighteous, that's us. Next verse, next, next line says this, that he might bring us to God. Do you see how Jesus stewarded his suffering for you and me? And do you see how in 2 Corinthians, later on in the chapter, it says that Jesus was rich, but he became poor that we might experience the eternal riches of God in Christ. Like he did that for us. He did that for you and me. He practiced the grace of generosity. And here's what I I hope that we can glean from all this is that when we steward our suffering and when we practice the grace of, of generosity, we provide hope for generations to come. We get beyond the gravitational pull of self. We can peer over the, our self and we provide hope for generations to come because let's see what God did in the life of Naomi, Ruth, and Boaz in the last chapter, chapter four. And I know we all get excited about genealogies. You know, somebody's gonna get saved in here because of this genealogy. These are the generations, and it goes on. This person fathered this person. This person fathered this person. The next slide says this, that, that Amenadab fathered Nashon. Nashon fathered Salmon. The next verse says this, Salmon fathered who? Boaz. And because of Boaz's grace of generosity, his attitude toward Naomi and Ruth, by the way, Ruth sort of in a way proposed to Boaz. If you read the rest of the book, it's like, it's kind of neat, like she proposed to him. Anyway, they got married. Boaz fathered Obed, Obed fathered Jesse, and Jesse fathered David, through which God chose to send his son into the world, the lineage. You want to see that, hey, when you steward your story of suffering for the good of someone else, when you practice the grace of generosity for the hope of generations to come, this is what God does. This is what God does. Maybe some of you uh, are thinking about how this applies to your life, what you can do with the story of your own suffering. 
or what you're supposed to do with the time or talents or treasure that God's entrusted to you, how you are to practice the grace of generosity. Maybe you need somebody to process with. There's going to be some people back here in the prayer corner. Um, If you're online and you're watching and you need someone to talk to like ASAP immediately, you can send an email to prayer at publicchurch.com and there's someone waiting to talk to you and to, to respond to your needs. Let's pray, church. God, thank you for being so patient with us when we don't get this right. When we have the perspective that our suffering is just judgment from you or we're just living in a state of victimization forever and ever. Lord, I pray that we could rise above it and realize we are not our suffering. We are not our problems. But you are called us to be a steward over our problems. And Lord, I pray that you would use the problems in our life and the stories of our suffering that someone else might know you. The people in the room might call upon your name and their suffering and they would use the stories that you've given them that somebody else might. And Lord, I pray that you give them and me and us, all of us understanding of how the things that you've invested in our life, you've called us to be grace-filled with, to be generous. Lord, our eyes are looking to you for the change in our heart change in our life. Thank you so much for joining us today. We'd love to connect with you on any of our social media platforms at a public church or through our app or website, publicchurch.com. To give towards the vision of public church, you can do so through our app or website via PushPay or by texting Public Church, in all caps with no space, to 77977. Again, thank you so much for listening, and I hope you have a wonderful day.